Welcome back, everyone, to Just James Horror Reviews. I'm your host, Just James, and this is episode 14. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we will be discussing the 2022 Mike Millard film, The Menu. The director, Mike Millard, I think you say his name, Mike Millard? Mike Milod? M-Y-L-O-D. That's how you spell his last name. Anyway, the movie is called The Menu. Mike Millard was a director also in uh, a series called The Secession. I think that's out on Netflix or somewhere like that. Uh, Shameless, Game of Thrones, Minority Report, United States of Terra, which has the fantastic Tony Collette in it. And my personal favorite that he's worked on, Once Upon a Time. You remember that series that came out in, uh, I don't know, the early 2000s maybe? I don't know. You remember it. I know you do. It was cool. Don't judge me. I liked it. All right. The writers that were involved in this film were Seth Reese and Will Trey. And both of them did work on The Onion, it looks like. So that's kind of where the writers came from. That's the history of that of this particular director. So you have people that know their craft and know what they're doing. And I also think that this helps as you watch this film, kind of the humor that's in it. This is almost... a do- Okay, so I-, I watched this movie twice. The first time I watched it, it was sort of a dark comedy. And the Ooh. second time I watched it, when I focused more on the main character, it seemed a lot more uh, of a... Uh, not a descent into madness because the main character, he'd already reached his, you know, breaking point and he was completely mad in this whole thing. Almost like a, a mad scientist. And so once I got past maybe it's a dark humor kind of thing, it became a, an even more almost gothic in its tone with uh, the main character and him just being absolutely just bonkers mad. So... It's got a. Let's talk about the people that are in it. The people that you'll notice right off the bat uh, Ralph, I'm not even going to try to say this last name. F I E N N E S. I am going to try to say it. Fines. Fienes. Ralph Fienes. Anyway, he kills it. He played um most notable guy, the most recognizable person to me in there, other than John Leguizamo, but he, he kills it in this performance as the uh, main chef guy. He played M. In the new James Bond series, he was in Schindler's List. Uh, he was freaking Lord Voldemort in uh, Harry Potter. And uh, most notably, for me though, Alfred in the Lego movie. Yeah. So, get you some of that. We also have uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, which who was the main character in The Witch. She was the witch in the movie The Witch. Yeah, so if you saw that, she was the one who... And oh man, I can't. I'll cover that one later because, as you all very well know, folk horror witchy stuff is my my crypto night. So I can't wait to do one on that movie. I loved it. So beautifully gothic. And uh, anyway, she was the witch in that. Uh, I think that movie probably was the best folky kind of thing since uh, since Jugface. Have you seen Jugface? Maybe we'll do an episode on that. Should I? Let me know. But Jugface was super cool. If you haven't seen it, it's a little more indie, low budget kind of movie, but the premise and a lot of the scenes in it are just really, really well done. Great horror kind of stuff if you've never seen it. So check that one out. She also was in um, the movie Split and Glass, if, if you remember that, about the real-life kind of superheroes with... I think Samuel L. Jackson was in... Uh, was like the villain in one of those. Uh, I, and also, fun story... I don't know. I don't remember where I read it or, or heard it, and I didn't bother to look it up again, so that's my bad. But it said that to take the role in when she was starting the witch, that she actually turned down a Disney role to be in that. And you know, they were kind of like, "Hey, if you do this, you can forget Disney. They're not going to let you go be some nude, blood-soaked, flying in the trees witch uh, that eats babies." If you, uh, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to let you do a Disney movie. I mean, they might, I don't know, but they're not going to let you do that. And so she chose to do that. That was her career path. And she said it was the best decision she ever made for horror fans. Of course it is. She's also in the new Mario Brothers movie. So she's the voice of uh, Peach, which is cool. I actually went and saw that. Uh, it wasn't too bad. You can wait for the DVD on that one, but you know, it wasn't a bad movie. You know, Nintendo fans are going to like it regardless, but uh, it's not any, it, it it didn't do anything super groundbreaking that old cartoons and movies 
haven't already done. There wasn't nothing in there that was any more, you know, unique or special. I didn't feel like than the other one. So, uh, like I said already, John Leguizamo is in this movie. If you don't know who John John Leguizamo is, then you were not a '90s kid. Um, so just forget about it. But he was in for for recent stuff. If you don't know, he was in Violent Night. He was in John Wick as the dude that I guess fixes the cars. I think if I remember right. And uh, he was the voice of Sid in the Ice Age. I mean, come on, right? He was in Die Hard 2. And again, with Mario Brothers, he was in the OG, old school Mario Brothers movie. Look it up. I have no idea what year it came out in, but it was, you know, with real people, no cartoons or anything like that. It was done with costumes and, and makeup and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of people compare the new one to the old one. They say, oh, it sucks, whatever. But hey, man, the old one was doing its thing way back in the day, back when Ninja Turtles was cool and stuff. So... I enjoyed that movie. I know if you were a 90s kid, you probably liked it too. Because you could see what a Goomba looked like if it was a person. I thought that was kind of hilarious. You know what I'm talking about if you've seen it. So, hey, let's see. Other people in there, just real quick. Janet Janet McTeer, who's in Ozark. Judith Light, who was Angela and Who's the Boss. That's even a little bit further back from me. I know the show, but I don't... I know who she is, but I've never really watched the show. And uh, Nicholas Holt, or Halt... He was Beast in X-Men, which I do not remember him being that guy. Of course, he was in a giant beast, blue, wild costume, you know, hair and stuff. So I don't think I would have noticed, but he's the guy that plays Beast, which is funny because in this film in particular, he does not play anything close to a beast. And um, it's just, you know, funny to see that. So uh, the movie's called The Menu. As you can guess, it's about food and a restaurant and the menu and about a chef who just has completely snapped from just the business and the culture and the pressure of becoming this top-tier, high-level, five-star, James Beard Award, all these other things, um, just celebrity, award-winning chef. And that's going to be the premise of the whole movie. He invites a bunch of who's who's out to his restaurant that's on an island, of course, super exclusive restaurant. And, um, that's that's going to be the premise as we go into this. But I did, I did want to say, because this thing is going to talk a lot about the, the movie. It plays this uh, this game of where you kind of don't know who to root for as you're going through. You think you do, and then you think you don't. But then you still feel bad for the people that you're supposed to not like. And it just kind of switches you back and forth as you go. Because and it almost makes fun of this super upper uber class of, you know self-entitled intellectuals and all this kind of stuff and pokes pokes fun at you know the I guess the food industry and I would even say all industries like this where they just kind of start you know enjoying their self too much and assign a lot of self-importance to themselves I think it does that a lot but but what I wanted to say about that because I you know I try to argue both sides of everything just so I can get some perspective I think perspective is huge not only in life, but obviously in movies too, when you're trying to enjoy something, if you just look at it through one lens, you might miss something or you might not get out of the movie what the director, whoever is wanting you to get out of it. So real fast before we start, there is a show called The Final Final Table Table. on Netflix. And this is what this movie made me think of. So I don't know if it's still on there. I kind of... uh, go off and on different subscriptions. So I don't I don't have Netflix currently and I don't know if the final table is still on there. But if you have a chance to watch it, even if you like cooking shows or not, it's a competition of world-renowned chefs from all over the globe. Okay? So you have all these different cooking styles and and cultures and and foods, it, it, all these different ideas, but what you realize very quick and it's it's done really well, of course, big production, you know, big stage and all this stuff. But it's not so much about the drama, okay? It's all about the food. And the reason why it's important and the reason why it matters to this movie is it shows the art form. And the chef in this movie, I think, is a lot like the chef in the final table uh, contest thing. Because these people, you can tell that this cra- this is a craft for them. It's It's art for them. They're obsessive over it. They're not in any way trying to be something they're not, you can tell it's something that their brain is just constantly cranking on. So, you know, just like anyone who is obsessed with art or music or 
anything, chess, whatever their thing is that they are, their mind just looks at it in a different way than any other person on the planet. So uh, the the funny thing about this show is I'm watching it and they're using all these special ingredients and you see these chefs are like, oh, we use a snail that only, you know, is available on the side of a cliff way up in the mountains, you know, for three weeks out of the whole year, you know, stuff like that. A, a piece of seaweed that only grows on one side of the world or whatever it might be, tree bark that you can only get in a, you know, a certain uh, hemisphere. What I, I don't know what it is, but they use all this, these crazy ingredients that, and, and they're using those to not only develop taste that you might never experience in your whole entire life. You know, it's not just salt and fat and whatever, but they, uh, they create art with them. So they create art on the plate. And I don't talk about a little drizzle of, you know, olive oil on the plate or cutting up some chives, a little chive confetti on there. But they're creating a picture, something that's so pretty, you, you don't even want to eat it. Like, you're, it's, you know, you don't even want to touch it. And uh, as I was watching this show, seeing the, the real passion of these chefs and how much they cared, not only about the food, but the art that they were creating, it was really, uh, I don't want to say inspiring because I didn't want to go out and cook after watching it, but I could feel the passion and I could respect the art form. And I, I try to do that with all forms of art, but this one especially. I mean, okay, I'm just going to say it, man. I was watching the show, and there near the end of it, straight up got emotional about a plate of food. And what was so funny is there's a scene in this movie where a guy does the same thing. But, yeah, the the person that presented this plate, it was just such a beautiful thing. And then, you you know, they did a thing about what all went into it and all this kind of stuff and the ingredients they're using and how precise and perfect and all this stuff, you know. And I thought, man, this is truly a beautiful piece of art for lack of a better word but you know just something from this individual's mind that they were able to create threw it on a plate and then boom you know i can't even believe they were going to let someone eat it It needs to be in a museum or something so you know art is it, it can be anything you know and i think art is passion and that's what this whole stuff is talking about and it's talking about how the world and consumerism and all that kind of stuff has ruined that passion and that art and taken all of the love and excitement out of it you know so yeah check that show out the final table it is really freaking cool the second thing i'll say about flip side of that coin let's okay so we'll talk about both um arguments i guess but the flip side of that is there's another i don't know the name of the show but i was watching some kind of random foodie show on the food network or whatever and they were talking about one of these chefs that owns three or four restaurants super exclusive each uh seating at the table they only seat like large tables so you can't just get like you and a friend or something and so let's just say it's a table of five and everyone there is going to pay 200 400 something like that just to sit down and then of course it's a whole experience they come out you know they serve your food in a very fantastic uh showy kind of way and it is of course this exclusive food that you wouldn't eat anywhere else ingredients it, there's no way you'd find them all in the same place and it's all creations from this chef and they interview him and he's talking about how he's a self-proclaimed you know uh renegade anarchist you know and all this kind of stuff and he's just like against the system and all that and the weird part for me and i think this movie kind of touches on it too is I don't doubt that this dude's a genius and that there's chefs out there just like anyone, like some someone that's a, a, a maestro on the cello or the piano or chess or someone that makes, I mean, anything, classical music, rock music, paintings, whatever, that they are geniuses in their own respect. But I, it seems like at some point they kind of start smelling, like enjoying the smell of their own, you know, farts, so to say. That's a weird comparison. I don't know why I said that, but you know what I mean. They just start to buy into their own hype a little too much because I don't know how you can be anti all this stuff, but yet you're charging $375 a plate. That means that take, you know, me, and if you're listening to this, maybe not, maybe you make all kinds of money listening to that. that's super cool, but your average just day-to-day -day job person is not going to be able to afford $375 for themselves or them and their, you know, spouse or, or whatever it is. So you are exclusively making food for a certain class of people and it's only available to them. And so only they get to experience your passion 
and your art and all this, and they don't even care. They're just doing it, and this is what the movie talks about. You know, you got all these people who experience all this stuff, and they're just doing it just because they can, just because they have the money to do it. They don't care about the passion. They don't see, think that you're a genius. They just go, oh, you know, three seventy five for them is is like a, a $5 bill in our wallet. So it's no big deal for them to go out two or three times, maybe a couple times a year, and check stuff like that. So uh, check stuff like that out. And I think the movie touches on that a lot, and I, I absolutely agree with it, the premise, and I think it's very, very cool. Um, think about those themes as you watch the movie. Uh, I'm not judging one way or the other. You know, they're doing their thing. I wouldn't want, you know, genius chef, $375 a plate, trying to tell me, you know, what's good and what's bad, and I'm not going to try to tell him either. He's doing his thing. However, I do think, uh, you know, if you're going to try to fit yourself into a certain kind of mold, you know, actions should match words. And who knows? Maybe he does. I don't know the guy's name. He probably does all kinds of stuff for charity. He probably, you know, donates a lot of stuff. Who knows? So, you know, no judgment here. But I just thought it was a sweet comparison as you go into this movie and start thinking about all those different concepts other than just saying, oh, this is a funny movie about a psycho chef that wants to kill people. Because I think if you go in with just that very basic, and it's entertaining if you watch it that way, but it's not a good movie if you go in that way. So go in thinking about all these concepts and really soak in what they're trying to do. Pay attention to the the tone of it, the music, the colors, uh, you know, what's in the background, like you should with every movie, but take it all in and it's going to be a whole lot of a more enjoyable, enjoyable movie for you for sure. All right, so our movie starts with our main, one of our main characters is going to be Margot Mills. And she's sitting there with her boyfriend, Tyler, smoking a cigarette, and they're talking about how they're about to go to this island and enjoy all this food from this great, great chef. Uh, his name's Ju- Julian Slowick. And how the each plate of food is $1,250 a plate. Not for a couple, not for the table, but a person. Margot is smoking a cigarette, and she seems very unimpressed by all this, and not in a snobby kind of way, but how I think most of us would think, like, you are crazy to pay that much for one plate of food. You know, he's trying to tell her that she doesn't get it. He's obviously super into it, and she just could care less. She's smoking a cigarette, and he starts kind of berating her about smoking, like, you're going to ruin your palate. You're not going to be able to taste all these flavor profiles and all this stuff. And I will say, I did read... God. What was the name of that book? Oh, man, I can't remember. But there was a book that talks about these taste testers. Because I know me as just, you know, the lay person. I think about someone who's paid to taste things. And I just thought, that's that's crazy. What a Anybody can do that. I can eat something and be like, oh, that tastes good or bad. But when I actually learned about the people that do this and what they do to have this definable palate and, and all this kind of stuff, there's, there's some science behind it. It's very cool. It's just like anything. If they do it a lot, they become an expert in it. And it's just, you know your taste buds accustomed to certain things. So it is kind of cool, but you don't want someone telling you that if it's not, you know, if you don't do it for a living, I really don't care. You know, I just, it either tastes good or it doesn't, you know, it's just kind of how it is. And, um, anyway, he's giving her a hard time out smoking cigarettes. She's going to ruin it. He just can't believe that she's going to waste this whole experience because she doesn't care. So a bunch of other fancy food business type critics and actors and politicians and stuff show up they all get on this boat and off they go to this island there's not any more real setup than that they kind of talk about each other as they're going through it uh you get a little feel for their character they're all very upper crust snobby um everyone's a star of their own show kind of thing and that's the feeling you get as they get on the boat and they go across so they show up to the island and they are greeted it's called hawthorne it's called Hawthorne Island, and they get there, and they're greeted, of course, by the kitchen staff, and they're all, everything is just very uh, meticulous and particular in the way that it's done. It, there's, like, no hiccups. Everything just goes smooth as it can go, where all they have to do is experience what's happening. They don't have to ask any questions. They don't have to do nothing. They just show up, and everything is done for them. And uh, they, <clears throat> they're being checked in by, let's see, what was her name? It is Elsa. And you can tell she is all business. Uh, from the way she talks, from the way she dresses, very put together and almost in a super uptight way. And, you know, you get that feeling as they're talking to her. They're like, whoa, okay, she needs to tone it down a little bit. But again, she's just, you know, to, to her, she's like, hey, 
I'm professional and this is what we do just because you guys think you're above it doesn't mean that you are, so to say. Anyway, Tyler and Margo get up there and uh, Elsa's checking them in. And you realize at this point that Margo is not actually supposed to be there. Tyler was supposed to bring a different date. He said he had to change it last minute. And Elsa has this, you can just tell in her mind, like something clicks, all right? So this whole perfect evening now has a hiccup. And it's not because of them. It's because of the people that show up. So anyway, Elsa is telling them all about the island and all the food they get is uh, resourced. All, all the food that's available on the island is resourced off the island from the sea to the land and all this kind of stuff. She starts using all these big flowery words to talk about, you know, what they do, how they do it, how everything is regimented out there. And again, Margot's just super unimpressed. She goes, I think we've reached, let's see, the quote is, uh, I think we've reached the base camp of Mount Bullshit. And I just thought that was hilarious because I think a lot of us, when you hear people talk about things that you might not be well versed in, it can very well sound like that. And oftentimes, you know, people are just trying to sell themselves or whatever it is that they're doing and it can, you know, fall into that category of, you know, Mount Bullshit. So uh, another thing I felt about this is these are all critics. And as they're going through, they're obviously critiquing everything um, from the restaurant to the setup to how everything's managed. And it is definitely throwing shade at people that do that in this movie. But it kind of makes me think about what we do, uh, people that have podcasts like this. You know, we get on here and we talk about all these movies and books and things, but yet we didn't create any of that stuff, you know. So we're not, you know, who are we to criticize these kind of things? So that's why, I, myself anyway, and I think some of the others as well, it's not my job to criticize stuff. It's just to review it, you know. Here's what I noticed in the film. Here's what I liked. Here's what I didn't like. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm saying you should check it out and judge for yourself. But it does put you in a weird place to judge something that came from someone else and it's their uh, expression. It's their expression of whatever's going on inside their head, their feelings, whatever it is, whether it's art or music. I think it puts you in a strange position to judge someone if you aren't someone that's on the same wavelength as they are, you know, whatever it is that they're presenting to you. So anyway, as they're walking on the beach and she's talking about all these ingredients, there's this really uh, kind of unnoticed scene of the boat kind of floating away. It's it's staged very well, though, and it's it's just a cool scene of the boat. You know, you can get the—I guess the dread is already kind of starting to build. Like, you can—you already feel uneasy as you're there because so everybody's so uptight. And then, you know, Elsa's so uptight, and you see the boat leave, and you're like, well, that's it. I'm on an island. That boat leaves the only way off. You know, you don't see any other avenue of escape. So, you know, you're stuck. As they're walking around the island, Elsa goes and shows them their dorms where they sleep and when I say dorms I mean it is just like a it's just like a warehouse with beds in it and the showers are all open like a prison you know it's just got like a half wall from the waist up and they all sleep in the same dorm and she talks about their strict regimen of what time they wake up what they do each hour of the day and everything is so precise and you know she's like that's how chef want they refer to him as chef throughout the whole thing slow and uh that's how Chef wants it, and this is what we do. And he has a house up on the hill, and she's like, no one is allowed in Chef's house. So you start to see this very, you get this real cultish vibe from her because there is zero expression in her face. Again, it's all business. It's just answering questions like a like a robot and very professional. And as I go through here, a couple of the guys are making some jokes, and she has zero sense of humor about it. Like she thinks, you can tell as she responds to him, she's like, you're the joke for asking this question. You know, you're out of your league in this place. It's a privilege for you to even be here and be able to experience this. And you're just such a, you know, a, a lay person and all this, but yet here you are with the money and the, the ability to enjoy this type of stuff. You should consider yourself lucky, you know, and here they are just making jokes and stuff. So they check all that out. They go into the restaurant and they sit down. We're going to bypass some stuff here. They sit down and enjoy their first meal, and you know places like this, they come out and serve you like multiple. I guess you'll have seven or eight courses in a in a, a nice restaurant like this. And while they're eating, um, you know, there's pe the waiters are walking around. They give rules about. Well, no, that that hasn't happened yet. Anyway, the first thing comes out, and you can tell. So you don't know a whole lot about Tyler yet, but when the food starts coming out, you find out more about why he's there. Because he's not a 
he's not a movie star. He's not a mo- he's not a food critic. He's not you know anybody from the government or like that. So you're kind of wondering why is he here in the first place? Then you find out that he's this super, just uh, uh, he's a foodie, but not in any type of professional sense. He's just obsessed with the chef himself. He's obs- he he knows everything about his career, his cooking styles, like what he uses, all of his different foods. So when the food comes out, he's dissecting every little piece. You know, he's tasting it, he's swirling it around in his mouth, he's trying to identify each little flavor uh, compound that's in there and then how it was made and all that. And he even says something in the kitchen, he, he mentioned something to one of the kitchen staff about um, a, a Paco jet, which I have no idea what that is, but it's a some kind of instrument that you use in there. And he was asking him about that Paco jet, he's like, oh yeah, I have one of those in my house, you know, and I use it too. And... The kitchen staff calls him by name and says, I'm sure you're very interesting or whatever, but it's also an awkward moment because he doesn't even acknowledge him. He just or doesn't look at him, but he does talk to him. And Tyler's weirded out. He's like, well, how do you know who I am? And he's like, the, and this is a dude in the kitchen. You know, this isn't like one of the wait staff. He's like, you know, we know everyone that's here. You know, we make it our job to know everyone and whatever. So, again, it just kind of adds to that underlining weird. I mean, you're uncomfortable as soon as they get there. I mean, you can tell that the people that are there, even though they're the guests and they're being a part of this, you know, experience that they are not respected by the people that are there. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a sly undertone throughout the whole thing because they do, they do, they feel like they're getting treated, you know, they're the king of the castle kind of thing because, Hey, we paid all the money to come here for you to treat us. It's your job to feed us and take care of us and give us a nice experience. But yet you can tell that there's just this, underlining condescending tone throughout the whole thing you know obviously I mean it gets a lot worse but even in the very beginning it starts to build and you know that something's coming right so um I think it might be after their first Miller second one anyway uh Slowick finally comes out and he gives this you know big intro to everyone and he says funny stuff like um while you're here I don't want you to eat I want you to taste and you know that's just kind of one of those fluffy things that people say I think you know obviously eat it but he's saying don't eat taste taste the ingredients and you know all the work that's gone into it and all this kind of stuff so as Tyler's eating he says he explains why he's so into this whole chef stuff and you know why it's such a big deal to him to him he says that you know artists you know that play guitar do all kind of stuff he goes that's nothing you know you're creating but it's nothing he says a chef takes the raw living ingredients from around, you know, from the earth and they create something with it. So they take the materials literally of life and death and they create. And he said, that's in his mind, that's, that's the work of God's, you know, that's what, that's what God's would do. And it's that kind of work lies right on the edge of the abyss of, you know, God-like power and not having it. And so that's why he's just so, I don't know, wrapped up in all this stuff. So you start to see that Tyler is just as weird, I guess, and obsessive and odd as the people on the island. I guess that's kind of the, you know, the gist I got from it. So as everyone's eating and enjoying the food, the like Elsa and some of the other people, they walk around and they're just, you know, making sure everyone's enjoying the food and talking, whatever. And this is kind of where you find out about each table and the people at it and what their problems are. You find out that all of them are really just kind of trash humans. I mean, they all have these issues and problems that they're working through and that they're dealing with. And a lot of them just kind of center around them being, you know, bad people. You know, there's no one there that's some kind of great philanthropist that's just giving up their whole life to, you know, feed the hungry or something like that. You find out they're all just selfish and just kind of morally defunct, you know, individuals. So uh, we found out more about each one of those. Uh, another thing that they do here with this movie is uh, they play with the audio a lot and the sounds to kind of help build that mood and that uneasiness because, like I said, nothing's happening. There's people eating in a restaurant, and, you know, we've all been uncomfortable in a restaurant or a public setting somewhere, and so you it's this underlining tone, and it's just the way people talk, the eye contact, the, the music, and the background sounds that really work together in this great uh, unison, I guess, to kind of build that that underlining uneasy feeling that you start to uh, experience as you're going through the movie. 
Also, like you've seen in the commercials, he does this weird clap thing. And I'm sure you've seen it on other cooking shows where like claps and everyone kind of comes together. In the beginning, it's kind of cool. And then near the end, it becomes, uh, you know, uh, uh, like kind of screwed up. Like when you see it, you're just like, oh my, you know, this means something else bad is coming or is about to happen or whatever. So this bread plate comes out. And this is before they've had any, you know, really main course type foods. And it's called the breadless bread plate. And it's literally just things that you would scoop bread in. And so it comes out and gives this speech before each course on how they're supposed to experience, you know, whatever it is they're eating, what they're supposed to think about, you know, while they're enjoying it. And the breadless bread plate, he goes on about how bread is the food of the common man and of slaves and all this other stuff, you know, throughout history. And he says, you people are not the common man. And he goes, therefore, you get no bread. And he gives them just a bunch of stuff to dip it in. Well, Tyler just thinks that this is all part of the theme and that it's genius. And uh, Margot is hilarious. She says, you know, he's insulting. You know, this is insulting. This isn't, you know, I'm here to eat food. And he's giving us sauces. And Tyler's like, oh, well, you just don't get it. I mean, to the point to where he's getting rude with her about her inability to understand, like, the theme of everything that's going on. So they start having a lot of tension. And... Tyler pretty much starts being a dick. Anyway, like I said, so both sides of it, right? For one, I know what happens in the movie, so I know he is insulting them. But there is this kind of mad genius stuff that goes, I think, with all, you know, you think about anyone who's ever created anything great that's lasted for, you know, we'll say hundreds of years, any type of art that's existed. And most of the time, it's because the people are completely mad. You know, like I said, they think on a whole different wavelength. And so you're still trying to figure out what you know where we're at on the spectrum of what's going on do we need to think more about how Tyler's talking about this do we need to be more realistic and down to earth like Margo is or do we need to be way up there with the chef and try to get on his you know impossible level of understanding and presentation whatever he's doing so I thought that's cool where you're trying to figure out where you stand as you go through the movie because it just keeps moving and keeps moving doesn't really give you a whole lot of time to to settle into one or the other so think your own biases are what you know force you to pick a side so serves them this breadless plate and there's a group of guys there that you know they're like hey this is cool and everything but we want we want some bread and so they ask Elsa comes around they're like hey you know this is cool we get it we understand this stuff but we want bread and she pretty much tells them you ain't getting bread ain't no bread for you guys you're gonna eat what the chef gives you because this is his menu and you don't get to just change stuff because, oh, all of a sudden you want bread. You didn't come here to eat what you wanted. You came here to experience the menu from Slowick. So there's a, a she ends up whispering something in one of the guy's ears. I don't remember what it is exactly, but it's low-key threatening. And this is where you realize that things are going to start getting weird really fast. Uh, there's another scene where at another one of the tables, uh, a food critic says something about one of the uh, emulsions 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 anyway it's a sauce and she says it's broken and one um i think elsa overhears it one of them overhears that the sauce is broken of course everything on the menu is perfect there's no way it could be broken she's just doing this so that she can seem important and say something about whatever was done out there and so for the rest of the film they keep bringing her these huge bowls of that broken sauce. And if you don't know what that means, just look it up. But I, I, I'm not 100% sure what it means. But I think it's like where you overcook it or something. The the ingredients kind of separate, you know, instead of staying mixed. It's got to do with temperatures and stuff like that. But anyway, I thought that was really cool. And again, where he continues to bring her out that thing that she noticed. You know, pretty much saying like, okay, this is what you do. Well, fine. You're so smart. You know, you're smarter than everyone here. You know, this 20 staff chefs with uh, all these experience but yet somehow you know better than we do what's good and what's bad so they just keep sending her out these uh, broken sauces throughout the whole film to you know continue to insult her so around this point in the film is when Margot and Sloak have their first talk and he is trying to understand who she is and so and I think this is Let's see, their first conversation might be in the bath. Like, she gets offended at something that Tyler says. She storms off into the bathroom. The chef actually comes in there while she's in the bathroom. She's in the bathroom smoking a cigarette out of the window. And he comes in there, 
And he's asking her, you know, who are you? Where are you from? He's saying, you know, I think you're lying about who you are, like what your name is and all this stuff. And he says, I can recognize a service worker or something like that because that's who I am and that's, you know, my history and all that. And he keeps confronting. He's like, you know, why aren't you eating the food? And it gets very, very uncomfortable. I mean, it starts uncomfortable because he just busts up into the bathroom where she's in there. I mean, you know, he didn't know she was in there smoking. He just popped up in there. And uh, she just said that she's not hungry. Or no, 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 that's what it is. So he comments He comments on the side, says, you're not eating. And she says, I don't have any food. And he says, yeah, you have your breadless plate or whatever. And she's like, well, this is sauce. This isn't food. And he's like, well, you need to eat. And then she's like, well, you told me not to eat. So there's this snarky back and forth where you can tell she doesn't respect. Not only does she not respect the people in the room for their you know, clout or whatever like that. She also doesn't respect him as a chef because she's there to eat and a chef is supposed to feed you and all she's gotten is sauce and foam and stuff like that. So, you know, he's she's challenging him right off the bat. Then they have a conversation in the bathroom about who's, who she is. She doesn't give up any information. She comes back out. He introduces his... And if, so we're moving on to the next course. Uh, Slowick, the chef, introduces his mother. She's this older lady that's been sitting in the corner the whole time just with a bottle of uh, champagne or wine or whatever it is just drinking the whole time and you've seen her but she hasn't been pointed out now he highlights her and says hey this is my mom he shares a story about them getting or his dad getting drunk or something or beating his mom and when he was a little kid he decided that he was going to do something about it and he stabbed his dad in the leg with some scissors and so he shirt he serves them chicken thigh with uh, these little golden scissors. And, oh, and each dish is presented like on a food show where he talks about it and then it shows the food plated and, you know, you know, like a cut scene to where it's just the food itself to show you the dish like on any cooking show. You know, it just highlights the dish real quick and cuts back to the movie. But they all look great. I mean, these are all, you can tell these are all done by real chefs. All the food looks great and everything. So it adds to the, it definitely gives it a lot more, um, it's more realistic in that sense that they don't just like, oh, here's what you're going to eat and you don't actually get to see it. So they get this chicken breast. It's got these scissors in it. And of course, again, he's sharing a really weird, odd personal story with zero emotion. This whole time, he is just stoic, just no emotion whatsoever. And they get served it. Well, they get these little tortillas with their dish. Everyone unrolls their tortillas. Everyone's doing their own doing their own like negative Nancy kind of stuff as they get you open up the tortillas and every tortilla has something laser printed on it and you find out very quick that it's pretty much everybody's dirty laundry so at, people are opening these tortillas and everyone's kind of reacting like how do they know this where do they get these photographs how is this stuff on here and I'm not going to get into all that because it'll take forever but just know everyone's got dirt he knows about all of it and this is where they kind of start uh challenging him but not in the way that Margot's doing they're just wanting to know who does he think he is bringing all this stuff up and what's the problem so from this point there's nowhere to go but down right cats out of the bag kind of thing they know that they're being set up in some kind of way and they want to know what his motivations are and all that so they 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 have a scene, I don't know if you've, if you've ever saw the previews, it shows a guy that, you know, almost shoots himself or something in the commercials. This is that scene. They go on to their next course. He calls it the mess. He's talking to a, a chef that's pretty much his right-hand chef, you know, the best of the group or whatever. And he goes into this long, not not real long, but he goes into this talk about how, you know, he'll never be as good as I am and all this stuff. Describes the meal and, I, I don't know, I'll just let you watch it. But then he ends up, the, the guy shoots himself, they roll him up and serve the next they serve the next dish it's cra- you know it's crazy and again the all the chefs that are working and then slow and everyone everyone's just super cool hey it's all just part of the menu no big deal whereas the people at the tables are kind of freaking out some of them being like hey you know this is all part of the show it's not a big deal there's no way that's real other people are like you you're crazy that was obviously real and there's panic but not enough for them to i guess get out of their seats and do anything they're still just kind of beholden to the situation that they're in they're going to sit down and enjoy their food i guess after this dude just you know blows his brains out so and here is i I don't want to say this is like the peak of the like the apex of the the film where it starts going down if there is one problem with this film the only thing is just the the timing in it and the pace it's just kind of disjointed maybe they did that on purpose to kind of 
help with the uneasy feeling throughout the whole thing. But as each meal is served, they go through some more, uh, I guess, like torturous stuff. I mean, because he he essentially and he says as much by the end that he's torturing these people and that's what he does. And although it's kind of goofy because it's done through the lens of a menu, like I said, if you just kind of think about the madness of this guy and what's actually happening to these people and the fact that he is slowly torturing them while also serving them a delicious thousand dollar a plate, you know, meal, it's, uh, it's, it's madness, right? It's madness. So, uh, the guy shoots himself. They like their food. One guy finally decides to try to leave and they stop him and pretty much just ask him, Hey, what, which hand do you want left or right? And he doesn't know what they're talking about. So Elsa's like, we'll decide for you. They grab his left hand and cut his ring finger off. Just boom. So now we know that, Oh, it's not just about the food, but they'll hurt us too. You know, this is the first time I think where they specifically are attacked with, you know, violence enough to where, you know, okay, they're not playing around. They're not getting out of here. It's not just them talking smack to and to us and belittling us. So cuts dude's finger off. They set him back down and, you know, just tell him to continue enjoying the food. And it's all part of the menu. That's something they keep saying throughout the whole thing. It's all, um, another guy gets up and tries to break a window, but it's shatterproof. So he, he, he's panicking, he's smashing this window. He's doing everything he can to get out. And they just come up to him and just kind of like slowly take the chair from him like they're taking his jacket you know to put in the closet or something just set him back down like pull his seat out and throw his napkin on his lap you know they don't even you know there's no chains is what i mean they don't bind him because like he's some risk of like he might try to escape again so it like i said it's just it's just uh it's very kooky so uh slowick and margo end up having another talk somewhere in between here and he pretty much just gives her the ultimatum of like you can die with them or you can die with us and this is where you you find out as the audience that everyone there is going to die, that that the chef's plan is not only are the people that are eating there going to die, but a part of the menu is that everyone dies. And the whole concept, it's it's part of the concept of the whole night, and it doesn't work unless that happens. And like I said, it doesn't make sense, and it's kind of hokey if you don't latch on to the idea. You know, just like I said, it, it can kind of, uh, you know, not really ruin the movie, but you're just like, I don't get it. But like I said, if you just kind of let yourself fall into his madness and try to see where he's coming from, um, you you understand what he's what he's doing. Well, you don't understand it because the dude's cracked out of his mind. But you know, you understand that he's cracked out of his mind at this point, and then that's what he's. Doing. So he says, "You can die with them, or you can die with us." And the whole point is, he said, "They are takers, and we are givers." The you know the service industry people, those who serve others, whatever job that might be, you know, all these other people do is consume. And they never give thought of who's behind it, what's behind it, all the work, pain, suffering, and all that stuff that goes into it. They're just, you know, you just serve them, and that's all you're good for. And sets a timer and says, you have about this long to figure out if you can die with us or you can die with them. So he goes out, serves another meal. They end up killing some guy in a lake. I'll let you watch that part, but he's in angel wings. The float is down. It's, it's, it's odd, but they watch this dude, like, slowly drown to death. And so, like I said, jigs up at this point. But it is a oddly, I guess, poetic scene. You get to see kind of the madness of Tyler and the chef because as this dude is drowning slowly in a lake in front of everybody, you see Tyler actually listening to the chef on how to enjoy this part, this particular part of the menu. And it's uh, it's actually a really good scene. Or, or so it comes out because they're starting to talk to him more now, uh, I guess a little more like unofficial, like with him sharing his stories and all, and they want to know what his deal is. He goes by each table and asks him a couple of questions to prove that they could give a shit less. Like, he, he, you know, they admire him as, you know, they know he's this world-renowned chef. And he asks one guy that's been there like 11 times. He's like, name one dish. You know, before each dish, I tell you what it is. I tell you what goes into it. I tell you the name of it. I do all each ingredient. Tell me just one dish that you've had in the 11 times that you've been here. And the dude can't even name one. And he's like, you know, see, that's the fucking problem. And... His wife tries to help him out, and she says, Cod, you know, tell him we've had Cod here before. So the guy, and it's the dude that's missing his finger at this point, by the way. The guy says, Cod, and, you know, the chef is like, it was fucking halibut. And he says, the, the dude with his finger is like, well, why does it even matter? You know, I understand that you're upset, but, like, why does it matter? The difference between Cod and halibut. And the chef says something cool here that gives you an insight into this, you know, state that he's in. He says, well, it matters to the halibut. 
you know, whether it's cod or halibut. But he also says it matters to the artist whose work turns to shit in your gut. And man, that is probably the best line in the whole thing. And as far as for understanding the psyche of, you know, the chef and the, the movie and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's like with book reviews, you know, like I was saying earlier, uh, someone or a movie review, even, you know, a movie or a book might take a year or more or less to write and then it's consumed by people in maybe a day or two or, or a week and then people will get on the internet and then just shit all over it you know so you take someone's hard work sacrifice all the things they've had to do to complete whatever that is you consume it in less than a week and then you get on the internet and side shit all over it i just think that's that's crazy i mean it's part of it but you know that that's kind of the, what they're saying here so slowick finally ends up asking margo if she's finally decided because her time's up and she said she hasn't. And he's like, well, it doesn't matter. You're going to die either way. And this is where you find out that Margot is a, I guess, an escort. I don't know, escort or a, a hooker or a sex worker or something like that. I, I'm not really for sure. But you do find out that she, she, is, she gets paid to go out on dates. And she's paid to be there that night with Tyler. And the dude that's missing a finger, um, he's been kind of looking at her and trying to avoid her all night. And he Sloak wants to know why. And you find out that the finger dude is some type of uh, politician guy. And he had paid Margot to stare him in the eye and tell him that he was a good man and pretend to be his daughter while he pleasured himself in front of her. So, you know, you're starting to learn more about how sick these people are, right? And what they do. And so, uh, and, and that dude's married. Again, remember she told him to say cod so you have all these different things going on he's trying to soak is trying to show her like hey look you are not these people you know you, you you're with us so the next part of the menu is they go outside and some girl comes out and she shares a story about how slow it tried to have sex with her when she first started working there and she never did give in to his advances or anything like that and somehow that leads to she stabs him in the thigh, which I didn't notice till the second time I watched it, but she stabs him in the same thigh that he stabbed his dad in, and he apologizes to her. But quick edit that I want to throw in here. This scene shows you a couple of important things. Number one, it shows you that Slowick feels no pain whatsoever. He gets stabbed. He's emotionless. He picks up hot coals in the movies. does all kinds of crazy stuff. No emotion. And he has a scene later on where he says he feels no pain and he's a monster, and you absolutely believe him. Second thing it does is it shows where the female in this particular scene says something about how he's allowed to do this as far as make his advances towards her or whatever because he's the star. So Slowick, he apologizes to her and he seems very sincere and almost sick in that this is the case, that he has reached this level and that he's in this position that he is able to do that. And again, it's just a further perversion of his career and his passion and things that he actually wants to do which is just cook good food for people and be happy doing it he still has no emotions on his face but he does he says like i'm sorry and this is part of the menu so with this he has a dish called mint man's folly or something like that and he gives all the men an opportunity hey i'm gonna give you guys a 45 minute head or 45 second head start something like that and the men you can all run you can all go you have an opportunity to escape and before he even gets done, one of the dudes just like talking. One of the guys just takes off. So they all take off. But what's funny in this scene is Tyler just hangs around. And remember, all this crazy stuff has happened. Fingers missing. Dude's trying to escape. You've already seen two people die. And Tyler just stays right there with the women. And at first you think, oh, okay, because he's been belittling Margot this whole time. So you already don't like the guy. And um, he uh, he stays right there with all the the women that the guys left and you think for a second like oh okay maybe he's got some redeeming qualities he's going to try to help or try to understand what's happening and the chef makes him leave because he was just hanging around because he didn't want to miss any part of the food or the menu and so you know again this guy he just cares about this obsession with the chef or whatever and so the women are all taken inside uh, they get a dish and Tyler's like outside the window trying to peek in to see what is it that they get that he didn't they end up catching all the guys that part's you know it's kind of uneventful you think something's cool is going to happen but it don't they all get brought back inside tyler comes in and immediately starts taking everyone's plate that was on the table and like trying to taste it and see what they got and he was asking margo a bunch of questions and so you know 
it's just it's just weird. I, I don't know what you call that other than he's obsessive too. So in the next scene, and again, this is where I said it kind of feels disjointed a little bit as far as the flow of the movie goes, because Sluck comes out, and again, he's trying to convince Margot that she's one of them, and he's going to prove it this time. So he comes out and has this talk with Tyler in front of everyone, and you find out that the chef had been corresponding with Tyler for like eight months before he showed up. And not only had he been talking to him for eight months, but he literally told Tyler that everybody was going to die. And Tyler still decided to show up, knowing that it's not a joke. That's just how crazy obsessed, you know, he was with this chef and to try his food and to be a part of that experience or whatever. So Margot, like, is listening to this because she's, again, they're all sitting at the tables at the, they go back to their, you know, dining tables or whatever. And the look on her face, it's it's great acting as he's talking about this and she's realizing that he paid her to come out on this date knowing that she was going to be killed. In other words, her life means nothing. It just means whatever money he paid for her to go out there. Literally just had her because Sloak doesn't seat tables for one, so he had to have a date, and he didn't care that she was going to die. So she reaches across the table and starts beating him up or whatever. And this is Sloak's, uh, I guess, he, he's trying to show her, you know, prove to her like, hey, this is why you belong with us and not with them. But why? I don't even know why that's so important to him because... I guess I guess because he would say in the movie, the menu, it's because that's not part of the menu. But that part was kind of lost on me. I, I get the differences in the two and the, I guess, the social commentary they're trying to make in the film. But it was just weird that it would jump forth back and forth between the menu and what he's doing to torture these people. And then back over to Margot to try to convince her to be on one side or the other. After all this, there's a a strange set of events. I, I guess the next scene is the chef asks for Tyler to come in there and cook, gives him a chef jacket, writes his name on it, and it's like he's praising him, and this is Tyler's wish. This is what he wanted to do. This is his dream is to go and cook with a chef, with his you know the person he's obsessed with. So he goes up there and he cooks some kind of like complete crap dish. The chef tells him it's the worst thing, you know, just pretty much tells him it's awful and all this. And he whispers something in Tyler's ear. Tyler disappears into the back. And it's interesting because there's a scene where it shows Margot watching Tyler just get belittled and trashed and, and all this stuff. And you remember all the stuff that's happened before. And he hired her to come out there and die, essentially. But she's she has a tear come down her face. And it's a pretty emotional moment because, you know, Tyler is, again, just being made fun of, you know, for this whole, for the entertainment of the chef as he cooks this thing, but yet it's his dream. So he's just letting Tyler live out his dream, but at the same time he's doing it so he can insult him. He whispers something in Tyler's ear. Tyler disappears. We find out later on, or we see his feet swinging in a room somewhere, so I guess he told him to go kill himself. But remember, that was part of the menu that he was going to die in the end. So it's one of those things where you're wondering, like, is he crying because he doesn't get to finish the menu or because he... You know, where they say, don't ever meet your heroes, you'll be disappointed. I, I, I don't know. You'll just have to decide for yourself how that scene made you feel. But it was uh, it was cool. It was a cool scene. Like I said, was, I, don't, I don't know where you could put it to make it make more sense or anything. But it did just seem out of place with the pace of the movie. But it was still a, a I thought it was still a kick-ass scene. So, so it comes up to Margo. Pretty much tells her, you're going to be one of us. I, you know, I don't care what you say. Tells her to go get some kind of barrel or something that's supposed to be in the building. Elsa hears this. He says that Elsa forgot it. She says that she didn't. She was never told about it. She follows Margo out into the woods and tries to kill her. Margo ends up getting the better of her with a knife and a Paco jet and wandering around the chef's house. And this is one of the most notable scenes, I guess, where you, if you miss it, the whole lot of things aren't going to make sense. But she walks through his house and she sees a couple of photos uh, on the wall and they're all you know, just kind of black and white old photos and they're different progressions of his career. So you have him working in a restaurant, him becoming a head chef somewhere, him winning an award, getting his first restaurant. There's even a picture with him and his wife, assumingly his wife and his kids uh, with his newborn baby. And then him at the island when he finally gets that island and his own restaurant and theme and all that stuff out there. And in every picture, He's frowning. He's sad. He doesn't look happy. He's an emotion. He's just emotionless, you know, just slate. And um, then she sees a picture on his desk 
and it's him as, you know, a teenage kid in a burger restaurant, and it says Employee of the Month, and he's smiling, and he's got a little hamburger on his little hamburger flippy thing, and it's the only one where he's smiling. So it's real quick. It kind of breezes by, but if you don't, if you miss it, certainly the ending's not going to make any sense. She ends up seeing a radio, like a little ham radio. She uses it to call for help, goes back, gives the guy the barrel, and he's like, okay, thank you, sit down and have your seat. From the radio, like, U.S. Coast Guard dude shows up, and this is also a very good scene. But again, they just come so late in the movie. And it just, it, where this is the action part, it makes the first part seem a little long. And it's, I think it's almost a three-hour movie. I think I, I Definitely over an hour and a half. But um, don't let that turn you off. Still see it. Coast Guard guy comes in, but before he does, the chef tells him, like, hey, just know if you guys say anything, he is going to die. And then you're going to be responsible for the death of an innocent person. But then he takes another jab at him, and he says, I want you guys to think about how you haven't tried to fight the whole night to get away. And he even acknowledges, like, you probably even could have done it. There's enough of you where you guys probably could have got out of here. You know, some of you would have survived. And he's like, just think about that. And so he just leaves him to, you know, that's him just saying, like, hey, you're weak. You're nobody. And you're going to die, and there's nothing you're going to do about it. And... You, even if you had the chance. So why bother killing this innocent person to try to save yourself when you won't even try to save yourself from us? And I just thought that was a cool little, you know, kick in the pants that he gives him. So Coast Guard guy comes in, real tense scene because they're trying to signal him, but like without the chef noticing so they don't kill the guy, he ends up asking John Leguizamo's character for an autograph because he plays a, an actor in the in the film. And he gives him an autograph, and he opens it up, and it says, help us. So on the way out, the guy sees it, pulls his gun. He's telling everyone to get down on the ground, not to move. and do You know, it's real tense. You're like, oh, shit, this is, you know, maybe this is the apex of the whole movie. You know, we're going to find out something's going to happen. They're going to have some kind of cool, like, chef knife fight. I don't know what they're going to do. And he's pointing the gun at Slowick, and then he turns it and starts pointing it at the tables. You know, and they're freaking out. No, 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 And he points it down at the table and puts it over top of a candle and pulls the trigger, and it lights the candle. It's all a gag. It was all set up by the chef. It's all part of the menu, right? So he knew this was going to happen. And um, the guy takes off his Coast Guard jacket, puts on a chef jacket, and goes back to the kitchen. So, it, again, it's just this mind fuck torture that he's, you know, he gives these people hope, then he takes it away. Gives hope, takes it away. And he's just really wanting to hurt these people psychologically and in some cases physically, you know, before the end of the night where they already know that, that they're going to get killed. So the movie pretty much starts to wrap up from here. There's one scene that I thought was kind of interesting as it starts to wrap up where uh, John Leguizamo's character asks the chef pretty much that he doesn't believe that this is fair and why is this happening to them. And he's kind of already explained it throughout the whole entire movie. But then he says, yeah, but what about my guest, which is his girlfriend that's there. And so Sloak turns to her and he says did you go to college? And she says, yes, I went to Brown. And he says, do you have any student loans? And she's, or student debt. And she says, no. And he just says, you're dying too. And so it's just this kind of funny scene of where like, he has kind of already explained why these people he has picked specifically. And with her, he's just like, look, you kind of just are fitting that you're here and you represent this certain type this certain class of people that doesn't know what it's like to have to I don't know you know whether it's struggle or struggle financially or have to please someone else to make you know your dreams come true so I think that's kind of what he's getting at there so it's going to end with the ending scene and like I said this it doesn't help with the pace or anything how it ends but Margot after seeing all the pictures in chef's house decides that she's going to try to trick him, I guess. And this is where I said, you know, it can kind of get a little hokey because she messes with him and you're like, this guy's super smart, kind of food genius. Is he really going to fall for this? But like I said, the second time I watched it, I think it just really speaks to the action, you know, this dude being mad. He's just mad, like a mad scientist or anything else. He's, He's cracked. His mind is gone and he's psychotic and it's all blanketed in this you know, ruse of this high-class, you know, super chef dining experience thing. So she gets up. She does the chef's little clap thing, which gets everyone's attention. He turns around and looks at her, and she says, I want to send my food back. 
I haven't got any food since I've been here, and I'm starving. And so the chef, you know, he kind of takes this as a direct challenge because he is a chef. He wants to cook for people. He wants people to be satisfied. That's his psychosis, uh, is him trying to please people with their dining experience. And she goes on to tell him that he doesn't, the main ingredient that he's missing is love. Now, that sounds cheesy when I say it, but it works out well in the movie. And she says, you know what I want? I want a cheeseburger. And he's like, okay, we can do a cheeseburger. That's fine. And she says, no, no, no. I don't want any of that deconstructed, you know, uh, concept type crap. I just want an actual good old-fashioned cheeseburger. And then he goes, they have kind of a back and forth where she's pretty much placing an order like you would at any common burger joint. And he goes back there, and it's a really cool scene of him just cooking a cheeseburger and everybody's watching him and everyone's focused on him and watching him do and now even though he's done all these amazing things they're actually witness witnessing him doing what he you know is really enjoys to do which is just make food to please people but not uh, to please people's hunger not to please people's ego I guess is a good way to put it he makes the food for her brings it out serves it to her she takes a couple of bites and again, she's just playing this game where she's just trying, you got to understand, she's just trying to get the hell out of there. She's trying to save herself. She's already been told and has seen as such that she is going to die tonight. So she decides to say, hey, you know, I'm full and I'd like this to go. He boxes up for her, gives her a little gift bag and sends her on her way. And there's another cool part to this scene where she's leaving, turns around, looks at everyone in the dining room and they're basically watching her get to leave. Now, they don't know what's going to happen if she actually walks out the doors, if she's going to be killed or anything, but you're under the assumption that she's going to live whenever she leaves. You know, she's cracked his code or whatever it is, you know, to get out of there. She's, you know, said the secret stuff or whatever, and now she's going to get to live, but she turns around and has this moment of, you know, she feels bad. The same way she felt bad for Tyler right before he died, you know, which was a really great scene if, if you... Watch it once, and if you don't get anything out of it, watch it again. It's pretty cool, that one particular scene about him just getting um, belittled by his favorite chef. But as she turns around to look to everyone, kind of thinking, like, what do I do? How do I save everyone else? You know, or I'll get help. The woman of the one-finger guy that used to beat meat in front of her, uh, perv style, kind of waves her on. You know, gives her the, hey, it's okay. We all kind of deserve what we're going to get. That's that's what I got out of it. So she turns around, walks out. She goes and gets the boat. The Coast Guard dude, uh, fake Coast Guard dude rolled up on and just leaves. So she's floating off, cuts back to the dining room. The chef gets ready for the final, the magnum opus, right? It's going to be a dessert dish. He goes, of course, he introduces the dish and he talks about how s'mores is... Uh, completely processed crap and horrible for you, but it's known to be, you know, uh, an American uh, memory, childhood memory for a lot of people and all this kind of stuff. He goes into, uh, you know, some more commentary about it, whatever. But as he's talking about this, they're pouring big, huge trails of cinnamon all over the place, which I guess it's, it's flammable. I'm pretty sure I've heard that somewhere. I've never actually tested it, but pour that everywhere. They put these little uh, collars of marshmallows around everyone in these little chocolate hats. And again, everyone is just accepting their fate. They're all just sitting there and they're all kind of taking it. And by the end of this thing, they are almost just as brainwashed as the other chefs in the kitchen and just as twisted as the chef. He has, in very cultish style, convinced them not only of his way of thinking and believing, but to accept the fate that is coming to them and not only accept it, but understand that you are deserving of it and that this is the best thing for you. And that's what happens as he comes out. He goes and grabs a hot coal with his bare hands because he's a monster and tells everyone he loves them and says a couple other things and drops it and then poof, everybody goes up. But that ending scene is really, okay, like I said, I watched it the first time, it was cheesy. The second time I watched it, though, and really just let myself kind of fall into the horror of the whole thing, it's got these great close-ups of different people's faces as they're, you know, burning alive and all this chocolate and stuff. And you just see, like, the fear and the loss of hope and the dread and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it, it's done well. I mean, the effects are a little cheesy, but, I mean, what are you going to do? You, you know, effects are what they are. They cost money. Who knows? And, uh, but it was a good ending scene. And uh, 
goes back out to Margot out on the boat. She's enjoying herself a cheeseburger, and she pulls the menu from the night out of the bag, which, assumably, is the only remaining menu of that night, the name of the movie and everything else, you know, kind of ties it all together, and she crumples it up and wipes ketchup off of her face with it, and then or grease or whatever, and then just throws, tosses it back in the bag, and that's how the movie ends. Pretty cool. Uh, I really enjoyed the film. I liked all the, you know, social commentary and stuff that was in it, but I also liked it just as a movie to enjoy a fun horror movie. Uh, give it a view. Let me know what you think. Did you like it? Did you hate it? I don't know. It had some really good acting in it. Uh, I, I love the the actress that plays Margot. She's done great stuff in horror and as Princess Peach, and I've enjoyed seeing her work. So this has been Just James Horror Review. I'm your host, Just James. Take care.